because I was so afraid, dude. Like you've, you know, you've been a, you've been in this environment where, you know, you've gone to Cambridge, you've gotten yourself an engineering degree. Um, what are you going to do now? Become a life coach? Welcome to Secrets of the City, the show where we uncover the stories behind the people who work in the highly lucrative yet enigmatic jobs of the city of London. I'm your host, Ayush Santalia. And today we speak to Cam Taj. Cam is a good friend of mine from Cambridge University, where he studied engineering. He then went down a pretty traditional path and joined the management and consulting firm called Roland Berger. But that's where the traditional journey ended for Cam. He quit his job after six months and started his own business called Cam Taj Coaching, which is a performance and life coaching business that he now runs by himself. His initial goal was to start his company and see where it went after a few months, but it's now been six years and he's still going strong. We'll talk about CamTouch coaching a bit later on in the show, but first let's understand what attracted him to consulting in the first place. I came into uni not having a clue about what I wanted to do in the future. And I actually didn't even particularly enjoy the subject that I applied to do. Because I think like a lot of us maybe, and this is advice I would give to my younger self, you know, it was really uncomfortable to kind of confront difficult questions about what I actually wanted to do in my life. And I used to just distract myself from that and just keep putting my feet in the footprints left for me. So from my side of things, the way that I approached it was just stick my head in the sand and keep doing what others are doing. And so I got to Cambridge, did an engineering internship in my first year, really didn't like it. I found it was a bit of a slow moving industry, wasn't dynamic enough. Again, different organizations, you have different different things, but this was quite a big organization, didn't particularly like the pace of it. And that was when I realized perhaps I wanted to approach something else that was a bit more dynamic in nature. So in my second year, I started applying to consulting firms. Why consulting? Because everyone else was doing it. I just didn't, you know, I didn't really think again for myself, like, what is it that I actually want to do? What am I actually interested in? It was more just, okay, this seems like so much everyone says you have a lot of options in the future if you do it. It's financially fairly lucrative. Um, And I think being honest, there was the prestige element of it, right? Mm -hmm. When you've kind of been, you know, going to this environment where you go to Cambridge and, you know, you're one of the best at something, it can be a bit challenging for the ego sometimes to then go from that to something else that isn't quite the best or the elite. And so definitely, if I'm being honest with myself, the element of that prestige definitely played a role. And I'd also say, like, because consulting was a challenging kind of challenging industry to break into, there was also this sense of wanting to prove it to myself that I could um, to kind of validate myself as like, you know, I am a, you know, I'm a capable person. I'm an intelligent person. Very fixed mindset approach to this. But at the time, I didn't really have the awareness to do anything other than that. So those are some of the reasons why I was considering consulting. I got rejected from every second year interview that I had for internships. I had not even heard of Victor Cheng at the time. Um, I was screwed. I applied, my first interview was at Monitor, Monitor Deloitte now. Um, and the only reason I think I got that interview was because they were just about to merge and I mentioned it in my cover letter as quite an interesting thing that I was, and I think they interviewed me with perhaps, I don't know, maybe some high hopes in terms of the fact that I was on top of this. And they asked me a question, a case study question. And I just answered it, like just, oh yeah, you should do this, this and this. And the interviewer just looked at me like, what's wrong with you? You've not explained anything, no hypothesis, no framework, no nothing. And I was just yeah. there and he said, we're going to stop this interview. Go and look up these guys and do this research for future interviews. And really? I felt so embarrassed. Yeah, I felt so embarrassed. I felt like I just wasted their time completely. But in hindsight, it was a really good experience as well. 
because up to that point, I'd, I'd, you know, the interview I'd done for the engineering firm, I made it straight away, right? Like, so this was a really good experience to kind of be very humbled in that sense. I applied, I left university without a job, which was a bit harrowing. Um, but I thought one final time when I applied to consulting, yeah. um, it was that or go into this whole field of coaching I'd suddenly come across. Um, and this time round, I got into Roland Berger for the first time ever. The reason for that was because in my master's year, I did two engineering internships with companies that happened to be clients of theirs. So what oh, were the really? chances of that, right? The manufacturing engineering tripos yeah. degree actually paid off. In yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I worked for two organizations that they had as clients and that got me into the interview room. And I think by that point, I was, I was fairly relaxed. I didn't think I was going to get it and I took it quite easy. Yeah. Um, I was focused. I, I enjoyed the experience and quite fun interview experiences to reflect on, but I ended up getting the role um, yeah. with them. So, yeah, there's a couple of things you touched upon there which are interesting one is which i always tell people as well is it's very normal to not get accepted to any firm especially when you're in you know especially at the internship stage but the experiences that you go through are going to help you irrespective of what you want to do afterwards obviously if you want to still go into consulting then i mean you had you had the, the best example where someone told you specifically go and read this and watch this and, and that's yeah. obviously going to help you but even if you're going to interview and you decide you don't want to do consulting, the experiences you go through are going to help you perform better in those interviews. And and it's important not to get, it's easy obviously to get disheartened by, by the failure, but it's important to actually think about the big, bigger picture a little bit and look at the positive side of things and that everything is actually going to help you at some point down the line. Hugely so. Um, and then the other thing is, is also what you touched upon is it's a bit of a luck game, not a luck game, but it's a bit of a guessing game, right? Like one interview, you get told you've not got enough structure and the next interview, you haven't really changed anything, but you're told it's too much structure and it's, every company's a little bit different and it depends, your actual performance in the, in the interviews depends a little bit on just factors that are outside your control and you can do what you can to control the controllables, but it's important yeah. to not try and control the uncontrollables otherwise you like a tennis match exactly like a, exactly it's about how you adapt and respond to the interviewer and their style 100 exactly. percent. and again it could just be little difference makers that you're not even aware of that actually contribute to that decision to select you over another candidate who is equally good in many ways um it's why the soft skill side of things and the emotional intelligence part of it is a huge element and something that when i work with aspiring consultants we do a lot of because that's those are the kind of intangibles and, you know, the air airport test, right? They're thinking, yeah. if I was stuck in an airport with someone else or this person for four or five hours, would I be sick and tired of them? Or would I actually look forward to that interaction with them? And to me, I yeah. really kept that in mind going into that fourth year. And it meant adapting my style depending on the interviewer. You left Rollenberger, I think it was five months or six months after you, yeah. after you started. Did you, yeah. did, you know, did you know before going in that you wanted to do something different and what pushed you over the edge and and you know five months is, is pretty short period of time to stay somewhere it right? is so what, what it was... really is um so that's a great question so i had come across the field of coaching in my third year at cambridge i'd gone through a very rough mental time myself the first years had not gone to plan not just academically but then you know relationship ending and i amassed some injuries from overtraining because that was the way to compensate for other insecurities i had and as a result of that, I found myself in a really difficult mental period. And coaching was one of the interventions that I came across that was most empowering to me. And I love the idea that essentially there's a lot of self-reflection involved in that. 
Um, it's not someone telling you what to do, it's more someone helping you to explore things for yourself. And I started to mentor people as I came out of that down period in that third year and going into my fourth year. And I found it more fulfilling than anything I personally ever achieved, whether it was a certain grade or you know, some accolade in tennis, whatever it was, I found it more fulfilling to mentor others. And there's a difference between coaching and mentoring, which we can talk about a bit later, but it's more just the fact that this idea of helping others in their journey was very fulfilling to me. It's not going to be the same for everyone at all. Um, it just happened to resonate with me. And so when I went into my fourth year, I actually made myself a little pro bono coaching endeavor in Cambridge just to oh, see really? whether I, yeah, whether I would, how much I enjoyed it, right? On top of balancing a master's and captaincy in the Cambridge tennis team and all these things, would I enjoy giving my time for free kind of doing this? And I loved it. It was what I looked forward to week on week, which kind of indicates to me that this is something that I'd actually enjoy doing if I'm actually making the time for it in this quite hectic schedule. And so when I left, I didn't have a job. Coaching was very much on my radar and I actually became this discussion with myself about, do I just take this risk and take this leap into coaching? Um, I was going to say, or, why did you not just do that straight away? Why six months in Rollenberger before you did Because it? I was super afraid. Because I was so afraid, dude. Like, you've, you know, you've been, a, you've been in this environment where, you know, you've gone to Cambridge, you've gotten yourself an engineering degree. Um, what are you going to do now? Become a life coach? Like, that's just ridiculous, right? I was so afraid of being judged by others. I was so afraid of the fact that maybe I wasn't good enough. Like, it wasn't that I... It's almost this thing of, like, if I had the choice and I had the offer for consulting and if I'd worked there and I choose to leave it, I feel empowered. Whereas if I didn't even do that, part of my always wonder, is it because you chose not to or is it because you really weren't good enough that you couldn't? And it was quite insecurity driven in that sense. But I had to be honest with myself and acknowledge that was a thought process that was happening for me. I wanted financial security. I was super afraid of, you know, if I go into this coaching field now, like, would it close all options for employment in the future? Um, I even lacked clarity about like who I would coach and how long it would take to build. I didn't trust my work ethic, which is a weird thing to say having gone to Cambridge, but I always thought I kind of found a way to be efficient in there, but I didn't know if that would translate at all to running my own business. Um, I lacked confidence in my ability, I lacked self-belief, and I was afraid I lacked resilience. Like how would I bounce back from those setbacks I'd encounter inevitably as I try to build something from scratch? So all of these reasons contributed to me going, dude, you've got a you know, apply to other places. And I applied to everything. I applied to HR, at, like Unilever. I applied for startups. Um, and I applied for consulting firms, again, just like on the off chance that I got accepted. And I was really grateful that, you know, that year it kind of worked out. And that time at RB was exactly what I needed to kind of show myself, Cam, you actually do have the work ethic. You know, you asked me what made that transition, what helped me make that transition. Well, the truth is a lot of people go into consulting because they don't know what they want to do. They're there to kind of figure it out and learn some really good skills and accelerate their career paths along the way. I knew what I wanted to do. At some point, I was going to go into this field of coaching and speaking. And here I was doing something that wasn't that. So I was clear about the fact that I was here to amass some skills, some experience, and also to kind of, so to speak, overcome some insecurities that I had. Get some well, belief once, in yourself almost. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But as I, as I was doing that, I started to realize, okay, these things are getting addressed. And I had this reflection process that I'd do every single week to see how I was progressing. And the longer I stayed in consulting in that short period of time, the more I realized that I was almost showing myself these things and I wasn't getting as much more value for my time there 
as I could have been perhaps by doing something else. And for me, just knowing the fact that I knew what I wanted to do and I wasn't doing it, it soon became a question of almost like, I look at myself in the mirror and I know what I should be doing with my life and I'm too afraid to do it. And that made me feel a bit like a coward. And so when people say to me, it was brave that you left, I go, it would have been worse for me to stay. It didn't feel brave that I left. It just felt like what I had to do in order to keep looking in the mirror and feeling a modicum of pride in myself. Um, I was so acutely aware of how, how I, I knew what I wanted to do, but I was too afraid to pursue it. And things like 2am Uber rides back on a Friday night helped. You know, <laughs> epiphanies of just like, I know I worked this hard in my life. It's cool to see that I can. If I took half that time and applied it every single day to something I actually gave a damn about, mm. how could I not eventually succeed at that? And that for me was again a powerful realization that was like, okay, that's fitting into place. And the final straw was um, when after a quite challenging project that we'd had, I fell a bit ill and I came back into work and one of the guys on the team was like, you know, dude, you did really well on this project. And he mentioned something about that kind of like a, a candidate for early promotion, you know, like kind of thing as a junior consultant moving into becoming a full, because Roland Berger's hierarchy is you're a junior consultant, which is the same as I guess a consultant in most firms, but then the progression level differs. Um, and when I, when I heard that, it was like that validation that I saw had been fulfilled. Like, oh, you are okay at this job. Like, you could be good at this. And for me, that was like the kind of final thing that goes, okay, man, you could succeed here, but you don't really want to. You want to do something else. And if you do it now at 23, move back into your parents' home, suck up your pride, live in your old bedroom, make some sacrifices in that sense to your say independence but actually I got along well with my parents I'm very grateful for the fact that I had a roof over my head in that way um, and it gave me the time and patience to build this up without having a mortgage to pay or a family to feed all of these things soon it made perfect sense that this is the only thing I should be doing with my time so yeah that was kind of the decision making process yeah so it sounds it sounds like the time that you spent at Roland Berger was definitely worth it. It was it, it hugely so, yeah. hugely so. Yeah. And what was it like? Because in my head, if you were to, you have this great job, it's you know fantastic company, one of the best consultancies in in Europe and the world. As you say, financially very secure. You have cl clear progression path, great training, and you leave all that, frankly, for for none of that right no money yeah, absolutely just you by yourself no team Zero. nothing to yeah. support you I mean, what was what was that like was it was it difficult to make that transition or actually because you loved you knew that you wanted to do it so much it was it was actually it, it was worth it for you and it wasn't even a, a something that crossed your mind I think because it was not an impulsive decision you know like even when I made the choice to hand in my notice I've already done some planning around what I wanted to do in that first year I kind of made like some financial projections for myself to kind of appease my parents and show look I can get to here in these years I didn't achieve those it wasn't about that that was more for kind of my own peace of mind um the whole thing with it was that I was just so excited I was so excited and I knew that the challenge would be when that momentum waned so I set myself a lot of tasks as soon as I left, like, okay, start getting on the website, start doing this, start doing that part of this, and start doing your qualifications. And I almost feel like doing qualifications was a really good way to kind of ease myself into this new trajectory because you feel like you're doing something productive, but it's not the most important thing that you could be doing. It's something you need to do, but there's time around that as well to be thinking about the direction you're taking. So it kind of almost bought me some time 
to get clear about what I wanted to do. And for me, I, I was very open-minded going into it that this is not going to be a three-year success story. This is going to be a long game. This is you thinking, I want to do this for the next 50, 60 years of my life, right? Which means that I've got to reach a place, like a very important milestone in five years of earning a certain amount so I know I can provide for myself. Like I've got to like get there. But aside from that, I've got to be thinking long-term. And I 100% say like, if it had been a different situation where um, I wouldn't have the opportunity to go back and live at home with my parents, right? Like live in my bedroom. I would have been really different. It would have been way more stressful in the sense of I'd have felt a need to get clients immediately. And that might have meant that without my experience, you know, being quite lacking in experience at that time, I wouldn't have added as much value, which would have meant that I may not have been a great coach, which would have meant that I would have actually not been able to succeed at this. And being at home with them helped when it came to what you said about the not having a team side of things. I've always been very comfortable working individually. I think my temperament is quite suited towards tracking my own time and being disciplined with that. So in some ways that this has really suited me far more than being in a structured environment. I love the flexibility of being able to train and do my exercise and sport when I want to in a day and plan my day around that. But having my mother and father and sister around me was very grounding. And even it wasn't talking about business side, you know, for sure I could have accelerated my career, I think, had I had a few more mentors early on to gauge with that. But also I wouldn't have learned as much through kind of trying and failing at things. So it's really hard to tell the different trajectories that I could have had in this. But I'll say that my, my net kind of response when I left consulting was one of overwhelming positivity and gratitude that I even get to try this out where many people would not be able to. And in consulting, you can't do consulting at the same time and try and build this coaching thing unless you're making sacrifices around, say, exercise, health, well-being, social life. And I didn't value that enough to make those sacrifices. Um, I knew that if I had to do it as a part-time thing, I'd have to leave consulting and get a more traditional kind of nine to five, nine to six, and to try and then build coaching around that. But I also didn't trust myself to be fully able to do that um, in terms of my own work ethic or my ability to kind of sustain that. So I thought, I'm just going to leave and give it a shot for three years and then I'll figure out what's going on. What are some of the big differences that you found moving from consulting, busy job, nine to nine, let's say, versus versus doing your own firm, both from a, obviously from a work perspective, but also more from a, as we've talked about a bit around the social side, the life side, the health side, how have you found that has been different doing your own thing versus a corporate job? I mean, the differences are profound, right? There's differences in every single category you can imagine. Um, the one thing I'll say is similar for me, and it's important, is they're both intellectually stimulating. I enjoyed the challenging consulting of researching new industries I'd never heard of and trying to learn as much about them as I could and, you know, being able to apply that in the context of whether it's, you know, you're creating a market model or working around the finances, analysing um, certain you know, financial statements from annual reports. Like, I love that challenge. And for me, one of my biggest interests is around performance psychology and neuroscience. So I get to constantly be learning about this thing that I love in this field. But that intellectual stimulation is probably where the the parallels end because with consulting you're very structured in terms of like you know that you've got to be working these number of hours and there's always more work to be done but hopefully once you kind of tick out your work you you can just kind of relax and let go of that and just you know focus on other things it's just a job in the end of the day 
Um, with this, there are hours of work that I log that I don't even class as hours because I'm just thinking. I'm just thinking about an opportunity to grow my business. I'm thinking about someone to get in touch with. I'm thinking about something else, you know? And that is challenging. If you don't have good systems in place to kind of manage your mind in that way, it can become very easily overwhelming and draining. And this thing that you once loved that brings you joy can become something that starts to haunt you and enslave you in a really negative way because you don't have the ability to compartmentalize about it. So for me, one thing that really helped was recognizing that this was going to be a problem. And it tends to come up at different points in your life in different ways. So a few months ago, I hit a great financial milestone I'd been trying to reach for years. But immediately, almost, the next problem came about, which was, well, how do I reach the next one? And that creates uncertainty, it creates worry, it creates a sense of, gosh, what got me here won't get me there. So how am I going to solve that problem? I noticed that I was spending a lot of time just thinking about these things because if I don't solve that problem, it will affect my ability to provide for a family one day. It will affect my ability to sustain and grow this business going forwards. So there's a lot more skin in the game. There's a lot more skin in the game. The one thing that I love about it more than anything is I get to structure my time. So my days in general, I might work, for example, from 8 a.m. till around 1 p.m. Then from 1 till 4, I don't work. That's normally when I'll go and do my sports, do my training, maybe do some reading, whatever it might be. And then from four till seven, often I have clients, that's quite a busy slot in general. Um, then seven till eight, eight thirty is dinner. And normally I don't do evening sessions, at least a few nights a week. I'd rather spend time with my partner, my family. Um, but occasionally I also have clients at that time because for a lot of clients in finance and consulting and stuff, they, they're, they're only gonna yeah, catch that at 8 p.m. Um, what it does mean is that weekends, you often work as well. But for me, I don't mind working a few hours on the weekends at all. Like it doesn't affect me or doesn't drain me at all. You learn to become very self-aware of your energy as well when you do this. Like you learn to kind of know when you've got to lower the intensity or the frequency of the sessions that you're doing so that you can have some time to recuperate. And I have definitely over the last few years tried to build in more of that time into my schedule. One of the things I started doing was I stopped doing weekend sessions for a while, just because one of the dangers with this as well is you get into habits of working a lot of hours and anything less than that becomes almost like you're losing something. So let's say I have kids and suddenly I shouldn't really work on weekends, I wanna spend time with them. I'm now perceiving that as lost time of work, which is having an effect on my bottom line and that's stressing me out. It means that I'm not fully present with them and I'm thinking about other things I need to be doing. Whereas if I build my business with, I work five days a week from these hours in mind, I'm now having to force myself to become more efficient with what I do in those five hours. Yeah. I'm keeping those weekends very sacred in that yeah. way. So I really limit the hours that I even do on weekends. Um, it's been one of the changes I've been trying to make these last few years, which is to work fewer hours on weekends while maintaining or increasing revenues um, during the course of the week. Because I'm, thinking, I'm planning with a future in mind. You never want to kind of introduce that kind of like bottleneck in your business where it's entirely reliant on you working a 60, 70 hour work week minimum yeah. to just maintain because yeah. that's not sustainable. No, yeah, totally agree. And I, I, I guess we've getting there a little bit, but what are what are your ambitions for, for Camtage coaching? Where do you see it going in the next year, next five years, next 10 years? It's a great question. So for me, um, 
There are certain revenue targets that I want. And when I say revenue, I'm, I'm operating a very low cost business, right? It's me as a solopreneur, essentially, and freelancers every now and again that I hire for different services. There's agency elements of some of the stuff I do with students. But in general, my costs are very low. So I do think of it more in terms of building revenues is going to be the thing that affects my ability um, to be able to sustain this long term and to keep growing it. So for me, I say that I have certain goals around that. But for me, what's more interesting is the way that I want to achieve them. So I've identified a couple of key areas where I want to kind of expand my business into. So one thing that I had to understand about this was that this business is 90% network based, 90% network based. It's kind of like in a way when you're a partner um, in a consulting firm, for example, your responsibility is bringing in business. And when you're doing this, you're responsible for that as well as then delivering the product as well. So for me, knowing that one of my biggest kind of goals is to break more and more into the kind of leadership side of things in terms of being well known as an expert in that field, specifically around the idea of motivation, motivating teams and motivating ourselves. Um, so going into companies and organizations to deliver workshops on that, to work with them longer term, work with their management teams in that capacity. So there's a few opportunities that I've had. So I work with the um, you might be familiar with 180 degrees consulting actually yeah, no, like a lot yeah. of students you know get involved with that university so i work with their executive team on creating motivation for themselves and their teams um i'm now going to be working um with a small startup um sorry small startup there small startup with a lot of funding and we're going to be working with their new managers creating like a four-step program to help them improve their ability to manage um so for me this is where i see it going and growing so my plan in the longer term is to shift more to the professionals market and also to expand my speaking side of my work. And speaking is something that I love doing. So less in terms of just pure workshops, but also in terms of at conferences and events. So part of that is a book um, that I plan to write around the concept of motivation. So that's still a few years in the line. Um, I was planning on doing a master's first actually in coaching. On the student side, it's much more about growing the products I have. So around Exam Success Academy, which is my kind of online resource, growing that, making it more accessible to others, um, increasing the number of students who use it and their engagement with it. But as a whole, I would say that the biggest goal is to just see from my side of things what the business looks like when I'm reaching a very, very steady state with revenues while continuing to honour the things that are most important to me. So relationships and health, right? It makes no sense to me to push so hard over this year to grow these things, but it comes at the cost of these other areas of my life. For me, sustainable growth is so important and keeping that R and that end goal is important. And that's why this is such a fun problem to solve because we can all put in more brute force hours. We can all just fire off and create so many opportunities for ourselves. But one of the dangers I've often seen with this is that our rate of external growth outpaces our rate of internal growth. So though I might get a ton of opportunities in business and talks and workshops and stuff, I don't yet have the internal capacity to manage that while honoring these other areas of my life. It's so all about finding, the, all about finding a balance. Exactly, exactly. So that for me is something that in and amidst these goals, it remains a priority for me to yeah. honor that. That's, that's super interesting. The, the last question I have, we're running out of time. The last question I have, which I ask everyone, which I know, you, you know, you said you have lots of advice oh, is, is, is if you have to pick one piece of advice to give, to give young Cam Taj back in the day, back at school or at university, yeah. what have you learned over the last few years that you think he would like to hear 
Okay, my younger self was an idiot. So I'm going to rattle off quite a few over here. The one that stuck to me most is this idea of, it's a quote by someone who I'm not going to know, but it's not me, just before anyone attributes it incorrectly. Um, it's this idea of the more we sweat in peace, the less we bleed in war. War is an inevitable thing in our lives. Challenges, adversities, things that we didn't plan, health conditions, all of these things. Build those habits in times of peace and the barrier to doing them when things get challenging is so much less. It was something that I didn't do very well. I did not make the most of my time when I was younger. I really didn't. I could have done so much more with that. I don't regret that, but it's something that I really do believe in, that sweat in times of peace. When things are easy, keep that meditation habit going. Keep your fitness habit going. Have those weekly check-ins with your partner in your relationship just to make sure things are smooth. Keep, build, keep that habit in place that if things go wrong, you've already made the barrier to doing that so much less. Second thing I'd say is around discomfort. My younger self was incredibly discomfort averse. I did not like the feeling of discomfort, specifically emotional discomfort. And the, uh, the truth is that every single piece of clarity that we're looking for, the price we pay for that clarity is being with our discomfort. If I'd, asked, if I'd asked those questions of myself when I was younger, I would have probably found this path a lot sooner than maybe perhaps a degree that was slightly more relevant, all of these kind of things. Now I'm grateful I did engineering and I'm grateful that it took me to consulting and that it got me here because that is actually part of my USP. So the third piece of advice that I'd actually give is that I would rather fail on my own terms than to succeed on someone else's. And what I mean by that is that I am much more peaceful now to go, I'm going to do it the slow way, the long way, the way that may not work and learn from that and take that into consideration, experience the lows of that, than to try and do it the way someone else has done, which may not resonate with me, get the outcome, but then think for the rest of my life that unless I keep doing it that way, I'm suddenly going to lose that specific outcome. I'm going to lose that result because that kind of erodes your trust in yourself and your ability to solve these problems. That was Cam on the latest episode of Secrets of the City. If you like the show, please remember to hit subscribe on the podcast and like our pages on Facebook and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening in and I'll see you next time.